our children, come on. We like to cheer for our kids. It's a tradition here at City Life. Hey, I got a couple of things to do before we uh, get into the, into the message tonight. So excited about the vision casting that we're doing. This, the, today could not get here quick enough for me. You know, I had to, we had to push pause because we had 14 things to cover. So we got seven in last week. We're going to do seven in again this weekend. And so I'm, I'm just so excited. How about the worship set tonight? Were they bringing it or what? Come on. They bring it every week, but they, they're coming up. Coming up. Hey, just a quick, just to, you know, the Bible talks about giving honor where honor is due. We had a, not going to tell you who it is, just to protect dignity. We had a family in the church that was in crisis, had to move at the last minute. And so uh, just given their circumstance and situation, they needed help. They needed some muscle. And so uh, I'm just going to give you some names of some guys that showed up today to make this happen for this family. So proud of you. It was uh, Steve Ruggiero was the one that kind of spearheaded it. But Mike Weaver, Tyler Ashworth. David Dupuis, Jim Harris, and Jim Haley. Can you just give them a round of applause? Just giving up time out of their day. Showing up unexpected. And for, and for, for Jim, it's Jim Harris, right? He's here visiting out of town. The Ruggiero's, there's family there, and I think he dates Laurie's niece, is that right? So he comes in from out of town, the next thing you know, he's carrying credenzas, right, down the steps. So he's from Pennsylvania, so I've got some Virginia peanuts, my favorite snack, I'm going to send you home, back to Pennsylvania with, so thank you for today. All right, so another thing that uh, I'm going to share, somebody uh, gave me this gift before the service. I got, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I, it's really funny, so I'm going to share it with you. So, so I've got a bag just like this that I keep in my office. It has, my, has prayer beads in it. That uh, there's, there's a liturgical side to who I am. If you've been a part of the City Life Church for a amount of time, you know that. So hence the, right, the stations of the cross that we're working through. So I have a bag just like this. It's got prayer beads in it. So this is going to go in my briefcase right next to that. But this is a little bit different than, than prayer beads. This is a custom shot glass. That has clergy etched on it. Isn't that great? And what's funny is that a police officer gave it to me. So, Mr. Kevin Tully. So, it, this is a little joke, right? Because you know when I'm, when I'm fasting, which I was, you know, did an extended fast, did a six-day fast leading up to last weekend's services, that communion, right, is fast-approved food. That's, right, you, you, you get to make some rules when you fast. You just have to stay within those boundaries, and that's mine. So, I always try to coordinate my fast with communion because I know I get a little snack right there on the weekend. And so you'll know sometimes I'll just snack on the communion through the sermon. And when I do my, uh, my, uh, my juice, I turn it over on the table, right? And those of you, because that's me learning about you, those of you who laugh, right? I'm learning something about you. So he got me the next time I'm on a fast and we do communion, that I can do my communion in this glass and then I can just put it in there. Maybe I'll put a little bit of water in there tonight, huh? So somebody would come in late and go, does he have a shot glass of vodka on his... I love this church, right? <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Officer Tully, right? I'll get pulled over after one Saturday night after the service, and someone, the police officer will ask me, have you been drinking? And I can say yes out of this, and your colleague gave it to me, right? So, all right, okay. All right, so we are in second week of our series, Come Up. This is uh, out of Revelation 4.1. Let me read that to you. It says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I heard before. We just talked about God's voice recently, right? That it is unmistakable. Sometimes it's loud, sometimes it's quiet, but at the end of the day, you always know it's him. The voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast, and the voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. 
John's on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there. He's in his 90s for preaching the gospel. He's imprisoned. He's at the end of his days. He gets up. It says on the Lord's Day, it tells us in Revelation, that means it's a Sunday. It's called the Lord's Day because it's the day that he rose from the dead, which is why traditionally churches meet on Sundays. And, and so, so he's there. He's on the Lord's Day. He's praying. And then all of a sudden, right, he's caught up in a visionary state. An angel comes to him. He gets seven prophetic words for the seven churches over which he is a bishop. He has a vision of Christ in the heavens. He has a glimpse into the heavens themselves. All of that happens before chapter 4, right? And yet, even still, God says, come up. So we introduced this phrase last week that, that with God, there's always more, and his more is always better. Right? If, if we just had just, a, 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 just a, a crumb of what John experienced before chapter 4, just 1 through 3, right? we would be saying, you are not going to believe what happened to me yesterday. Right? I mean, all of those things were amazing, but yet God still says to him, hey, come up. If you think that was great, just wait for what's waiting for you. Because with me, he says, there's always more, and my more is always better. Now, we usually cast vision at our anniversary service at the end of January every year. We launch a theme. We pray about it that we feel like give, gives us a theme for the, the coming year. And we felt like as a leadership team, God gave us a theme for 2014 now. So we said we're not going to wait. We're going to launch it now. It's going to be the theme for the rest of this year. It's going to be the theme of 2014 and beyond, and the theme has come up. And it means that as a, as a church, we're going to come up in some areas. And so we talked about some of those, some change, some, some, some sense of advancing. Because this journey as a follower of Christ, there is a progression to it. We, there should never be some sense of I'm good where I am. God's, his, there's always more, and his more is always better. And part of what the vision that we're casting is we're sharing with you some things that we feel like as a church God is saying come up in. And then some of it are things that I feel like God has put on my heart to say to some of you that you've got to come up in. So we're going to come up individually and we're going to come up corporately together as a church. And so when I was praying about how to share all of these things that God was putting into my heart, I felt like he spoke to me to walk the church through the 14 stations of the cross. And as I began to study and pray through these 14 stations, I felt like God began to connect all of these things he was putting in my heart to these individual stations. So again, we did seven last week. You can get that on the podcast. We're going to get the notes online. I've even got some history of the 14 stations. So we're going to, you ready? We're going to do seven tonight. You ready? All right, we're going to move through this stuff. I, and I know we've got, we got off the clock a little bit last weekend. I don't know if we're going to get off the clock a little bit this weekend or not. I was talking to some visitors last week, and I was saying, how was it? And, and, and they were joking, and they said, well, we, it was a little long. I said, I know, I know, it was a, it was a little long. We, we, we meet here in Newport News from 5 to 6.30-ish. So, no. so, so we're, I know that there's going to be weekends where, where it might feel a little bit long, but there, sometimes there's just a lot of stuff in our hearts. You with me? That we want to get out there. And so sometimes we're going to do better with the clock and then sometimes than others. So just, just settle in. You with me? I'm hungry tonight with you. Last week I couldn't eat, so you were in trouble, right? So this week I'm hungry with you as we, as we get through, if that, if, if that helps you a little bit. All right. For some of you are shaking, it doesn't help me at all, right? All right. Station 8. Jesus meets when the women of Jerusalem. He meets some women from Jerusalem. So as you're studying through the Gospels, you find that there's an encounter that, that Jesus has on the road to Calvary where a group of women come and interact with him. And I, I feel like this is a great place for us to ask the question, is there a small group of people in my life who I know will always be there for me beyond my immediate family? If you come from a healthy family, they, then they're loving you because they love you, but they also know that they don't have any choice. Can we just say the reality of it, right? 
We, we don't have any choice over our family. If the, only small, if the only sense of connection with people that you have are, are the people that are part of your immediate family, then there's something lacking. You need to come up. There should be a small group of people that are not your... Now, some of your immediate family might be a part of that group. You with me? But there should be other people that are, are mixed in. People that will always be there for you, be there for me, beyond our immediate family. Acts 2.46 talks about the early church. They, they went to church in the first century every day, and they had small group every day. Read it. Acts 1, 2, 3, 4. Read in there, right? We're just asking you. You got it easy, people. Come on. Once a week, we're asking you to come to a weekend service. And our life groups, they have terms, so there's breaks for you, right? Every day they met for the teaching. Every day they met to be together with other people. Now, that was part of their cultural norm. That's not, part, that's not how we're going to come up. Don't get nervous, right? The, 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 that's not part of our culture. But the norm, the principle stays the same. Is there a group of people that will always be there for you and they're there for you because you have invested in those relationships? It's interesting that I think the greatest example of small groups in the Bible is when you study the life of the disciples. John MacArthur, I don't agree with everything he says theologically, but he is an amazing scholar. He's an amazing teacher. I've got several of his books, 12 Ordinary Men. I reference this book often. And he has a great thing that he points out uh, in, in his study of the disciples. I'm going to read you the, the, the text. These will be in the notes that we, that we get online. But as you look through the Bible, you'll find in Matthew 10 and Mark 3 and Luke 6 and Acts 1. All four of those places, we are giving a comp- we're given a complete list of the four disciples. Now as you study that, you'll, you'll realize that every one of those lists are broken down into three groups of four men. And even though within each one of those groupings of four, the order might change a little bit, the first name, so the first, the fifth, and the ninth name in all four of those lists are exactly the same. The Holy Spirit is trying to communicate something to us. Even amongst these 12, there were three groups, small groups of four men. And at the center of that, the first four is always listed first because that was the core of the team. You with me? That all throughout Scripture, the narrative portions of Scripture, we're going to mention that a few times tonight, give us doctrine. They give us truth. Not just the didactic portions, which are the do's and the don'ts, right? Those parts of the Bible that say, do this or don't do that. But we believe as a church, as many other churches do, that the narration, the stories of the Bible are overflowing and abounding with truth that are supposed to instruct our lives, even Amongst the 12, they broke down into small groups that met together on a regular basis in the context of the greater whole. Circle maker, if you have never been a part of a small group before, you got to come up. I'm just, if you've always found an excuse to not be a part of a small group, it's time for you to come up. These groups, it's not just about the book. It's not just about a series on prayer that we're going to do together. It's about the idea of what begins to happen in your life when you begin to build relationships with other people. It's one of our pathways. Your life is desperate for it. Stop denying yourself this great gift that God wants you to find. Pastor Jamie is going to be in the pulpit for the first time. Come on, it's going to be awesome for the next two weekends. I know you can clap for that. He's going to do a two-week mini-series that sets up our life group. So if you've not gotten a flyer, you need to get a flyer tonight, and you need to find one of those life groups that can fit your schedule. All right, station number nine. Station number nine. Jesus falls for the third time. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, be careful for nothing. Or, or in one translation it says, don't be anxious about anything. But in all things, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding 
will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to break down that text together as part of the Circle Maker series, but I love how it, it starts as Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. He says, don't be anxious about anything, good, and all things, right? And everything in your life, are you bringing that to God in prayer? Everything. I must never forget that my, my utter dependence on God, even when I think I have it all under control, am I desperate for him? So, so let me give you another truth, another principle. I felt like God spoke to my heart this week. If we're not desperate for God, if I'm not desperate for God, even when I think I'm big enough, even when I think I'm good enough, when I face something for which I am not big enough and I am not good enough, I will not have the faith that he is either. Let me say that again. If I'm not desperate for God, even when I think I'm big enough, even when I think I'm good enough, when I face something for which I am not big enough and I'm not good enough, I will not have the faith that he is either. Now where do I find that? I find it in the story of King Saul and King David. As you begin to contrast their two lives together, you begin to find, you get a physical description of Saul. He was tall. He was strong. He was handsome. He, throughout his life, he was big enough and he was good enough. And as you study his life, you find that was his problem. And where he came to a place of crisis, it was always when he faced something that was beyond himself. And when he faced something that was beyond himself, he always had a crisis of faith because he didn't have the faith to believe that God was either. Why is that? Because even when he was facing things where he was big enough and he was good enough, he wasn't desperate for God. And that's where faith is born in our hearts. Where do you get that, Fred? Well, because we look at the life of David. We know that David was a shepherd in his family's house when he was young. And before he fights Goliath, right, we get this story explaining to us that in, in, in as a shepherd, he would, he would fight bears and he would fight lions. And David, when he recounts that story, he always gives God the credit for giving him the strength to be able to do those things. And that prepared him for the day that he was with Goliath. And we look at that and we say, well, of course it did. But what we forget, what we miss, what we miss in the cultural context is that you, you could not be a shepherd if you were not big enough and good enough to kill lions and bears. That was part of the responsibility of being a shepherd in David's day, in ancient times. In, in that region, there were lions and bears all over the place. It, it, was, it was part of the job description of shepherding. You had to be able to defend against wild animals to protect the flock. He had certain weapons that he used when he went out as a shepherd. If he came home one day and told his brothers, hey, I killed a bear today, they would have said to him, well, go kill 10 more, and then you'll catch up with me for when I was a shepherd. You with me? But even David, even though it was within the realm of his human ability to do this thing, when he tells the story, he tells the story as if God did it for him. Because even when he was big enough, even when he was good enough, he was always desperate for God. And that's what gave birth to a faith in him that God, when he wouldn't be big enough, when he wouldn't be good enough, that God would be, and that's what enabled him to walk down into that valley and kill Goliath that day. You find Saul cowering in his tent because he was in a crisis of faith. We are going to continue and we're going to increase in the, in the months and the years to come, the times where we come together as a church to pray. We, we had some times this week, not too many of you people were there. Come on, I'm just coming at you. It's time to come up. It's time to come up. Your own personal prayer life, when the church gathers for corporate prayer, even if you're facing things that you say, I'm not sure I'm in a crisis, that's the best time to pray. Come on. Even when you're big enough, 
even when you're good enough, is there a desperation in your heart? Even on the weeks where I feel like, I've got this sermon. I've got it down. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what God, every week before I come up here, I say the same thing. God, I can't do this without you. You with me? There has got to be. Whatever you can accomplish on your own, even when you think you're big enough, even when you are good enough, come on, I don't want the human result. I want a divine result, and that comes from dependency upon God. Faith builds in you the most when it's within the realm of possibility. And that prepares you to believe for the impossible when those things face you. And they will. Come on. All right. Station number 10. Jesus' clothes are taken away. This is a big one here. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. We sang that song tonight, didn't we not? Set your sights on the realities of heaven. That's a great phrase there. The realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now listen to what Paul writes here. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. And your real life, the life that you're living now as a devoted follower of Christ, listen to what he says, is hidden with Christ in God. Right? I, I come to things like that and my brain just explodes. Because how, how can we, we be one with the creator of the year? How can God fit in us? But yet that's what the Bible says, right? In John 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says, no, 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 no. We're going to be in you. Nicodemus, he had a hard time swallowing. It was a big bite to chew, right? This idea of being born again. The spirit of God living inside of us. It was a foreign concept when Jesus began to put that in play. They understood the idea of the, the anointing, the empowerment of God. They understood the presence of God, right? But Jesus, he came up with the teaching. No, no, no. We're going to be in you and we're going to be in him. At one, at, when we get to heaven, we're going to figure it out. At, at this point, I just have to accept it to be true. But one of the powerful things about this truth is this idea that one of the reasons why we have a hard time going there is because we have all of these other identities that the world has given us. We have all of these identities that whether it's a, a parent gave to us or a group of friends that we should not have gotten involved with gave to us. Whether it's a lifestyle that we've been walking in that other people have given to us that says you were born that way. Come on. If it's not the life that this book says that you're supposed to have, then it's not the identity that you're supposed to embrace. Are there any aspects of my life that are inauthentic, not being true to myself, accepting an identity from others instead of embracing who God wants me to be? If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. I want to read this parable. Since Jesus also told them other parables, he said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wet wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. Maybe we would say they all refused to come up. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests... He had invited, ignored them, and went their own way. One seized, went, one went to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers. The messengers of the king insulted them, even killed them. 
The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. See, so the next time you decline an invitation to a wedding, you should think of this parable. Now, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king, this is where it turns, but when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Now, that parable could be a sermon series unto itself. I'm going to hone in on one part. It was, a, it was a, a tradition there that if you came to a wedding, you didn't have the proper clothes, the person that was hosting that party had the responsibility to give you the robe that you were supposed to wear. They would provide you with what you needed. And so here in this parable, the people that were listening to it, they would have understood that this person comes, it would have been offered to him, and he would have said, that's okay, I don't want to wear those. And it's a great metaphor for us, I believe, this robe of identity. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, there is an identity that he puts upon you. There is an identity that he now gives you as a child of the living God. There is a life, like Vanessa said, we talk about God being on the throne of your life. He is on the throne. He's always been on the throne. The question is whether or not will we yield to his authority. Where we accept the cloak of identity that he wants to give us. And for many of us, we have a hard time with that because we have an identity that we like. This man said, I like what I'm wearing better but God's just not a king, he's the king, and his son is the king of kings, and the identity that he gives to me, I am not free to reject it. Even though it is an invitation as it comes to me, anything I reject from the hand of God, even if it's a choice, does not mean it's without consequence. And for him, we see the consequence was eternal. For some of you, it could be this idea, which we're going to get to later, that you've never even embraced the idea of the identity of making a vow of devotion to Christ, which is ultimately what this is about, the robe of righteousness that only comes through the death of Christ. I like to think of it as a scarlet robe. You with me? I like to think of it as a robe that is stained with the blood of Christ that was shed for you and shed for me. The fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, though our sins be as scarlet, they be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be like lamb's wool. Unless I wear the red robe of Christ, that there is nothing righteousness in me. And unless I embrace the identity that comes with that, I will always live less than what I was called to do. Remember the bracelets that came out, what would Jesus do, right? The different things that come out in Christianity that can be trends. And, and they're good things. I, I like those things. But you know, I think the better bracelet is what would you do, right? That's not just what would Jesus do. It's No, no, no. What are you going to do in light of who you are as a child of the living God, right? At some point you can, you, you can say what would Jesus do, and that can be a helpful question. But at some point you've got to come up. At some point, you gotta, it can't be about what would Jesus do. It's because I know what Jesus would do, and because I know I'm his, this is now what I'm going to choose to do. I love what Steve Ruggiero put into play this year when, when he taught that, that sermon. Remember he had the chairs up here? In light of my past, my present circumstances, my hopes and dreams of tomorrow, is this wise for me right now? Are you walking in that kind of wisdom? 
Are you walking in the identity of being a child of the living God? Because when you carry that robe on you every day, every moment of your life, I am telling you it brings amazing clarity to your choices. It brings amazing clarity to your attitudes. It brings amazing clarity to the words that come out of your mouth. It brings amazing clarity to how we treat our wives and how we father our children and how we serve in our community. With me, when we walk in the revelation of the identity of a child, of God, it changes who we are and how we live. It's time to come up. Station 11. I see Mary Manny over there. Mary gave me this amazing CD this week. She sent it to me. Thank you for that. It was a it's a it's a it's a musical prayer, I guess you could call it. I'm not a musician, so I'm gonna fumble throughout to describe it. That walks you through all the stations of the cross. Prayers to pray. I was listening to that this week. It was it was fan I don't even know where it came from, but if you're interested in that, there's Mary over there and she can tell you where to find it. So yeah. Station eleven, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Oh these stations, they're rich, aren't they? And my making every sacrifice I know God expects of me is my Christianity costing me something. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, let me just let you know what to expect. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. Let's start there. I'd be like, can we work up to that? Right? Can, can that not be the starting point? Right? You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross. We're not trying to reinvent a monastic movement. But if you're a devoted follower of Christ, this journey, you should feel sacrifice at times in your life. Now, we introduced Station 2 last week, which was the idea about having the right kind of priorities. Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and, and all things will be added unto you, right? So we talked about this idea that for some of you, you need to get your priorities right, and, and involves with serving and life groups and all the pathways, really, and giving. And, and it might be that you're just, you're, your life is out of order. But for some of you, you you got Station 2 dialed in. You've got the right priorities. You've just not stepped into Station 11 yet. You, 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 maybe you've read a verse in the Bible every day for as long as you can remember. But now it's time to come up and it's time to read through the whole Bible in a year. You with me? It might, it might be that you give regularly, but now it's time for you to step into the, into the realm of tithing. You tracking with me? There's this idea. It might be that, that, that you get involved and serve as your schedule enables you to, right? And, and so you've got a priority there where you make service important, but, but maybe you've not identified a ministry and that just says, this is going to be a foundational part of who I am in my life. It might be that you attend church regularly when your schedule allows you, right? You've made it a priority to a degree, but you haven't crossed the threshold of sacrifice where you say, there's nothing that I'm going to put on my calendar on Saturdays from 5 to 6.30. You with me? Not that there's not exceptions. Not that you're going to be here every time. We're not right, giving out the pen of perfect, perfect attendance. right? But what we're saying is, have you crossed the threshold of it costing you something? That there is an experience in Christianity that Jesus calls us to that costs. And, and the beauty is what costs you and what costs me is different. That's the beauty of the, of the story of the widow's might, right? There's this one man, he gave all of this money. And the widow, she just had this one, she had a penny. But it's all that she had. She gave it. God saw that gift as being bigger than what he had given. Are you tracking with me? This idea of sacrifice, is my Christianity costing me something? Am I, am I open to this idea that I'm going to live my life in a way that is sacrificial? 
That's one of the reasons why we like to fast, because it introduces people to this. It, it introduces people to lots of things, but one of the things it introduces you to is the emotional feeling of sacrifice. There's nothing like sacrifice to bring resurrection to your life. And that's the journey that we follow Christ on all the way to the end of the stations of the cross. You know, I shared with you last week that, you know, if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, I'm very reluctant to talk about giving. I'm very reluctant to talk about money because I've always said we're not going to be one of those churches, right, where that's at the forefront of, of who we are. And it's not going to be at the forefront of who we are, but it's supposed to be more part of who we are. And I shared that with you last week. I've been reading this book by Larry Stockstill, The, the Laws of Increase, and God's really been bringing some correction to my life. I shared it last week. I'm going to share it again this week. That in reading this, he, he brings some correction in this book that I think God brought correction me, this idea that, that we're not willing to talk about it because we're afraid of offending some, someone. And God spoke to me and said, Fred, well, you're walking in all the benefits of practicing all these principles. You're walking in this principle of tithing. You're walking in this principle of offerings. You're walking in this principle of supporting missions. You're, you're practicing the stewardship that the Bible gives you. And the only reason you know to do those things is because someone taught you. Because someone had the curse to teach you those principles. Now, you're walking in my favor because you know those principles, but there's people that are going to come to your church. They've never been taught those things. So are you going to rob them of those things because you're afraid of, of offending someone? What's up with that? Right? He speaks to me in a local vernacular. Maybe you're King James. He would say, what saith thou you? Right? <laughs> Maybe that's how you hear from God. He says, what's up with that? That's what he says to me. However you need to hear him. Come on. Come up. Right? And so we've been praying as a, as a, as a leadership team. We, we, we have a big dream as a church. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be large in number. I don't know the answer, but we're supposed to be large in impact. This message of heaven now, heaven forever, you don't have to wait until you breathe your last breath to experience the taste of heaven. Jesus said, right, I've come that you might have life to the fullest possible measure starting today. He says, come on. We're going to bring that message to the undevoted, to the disconnected, and the discipled. If you don't know what those phrases mean, we'll see you the first week in October. We're going to be talking about them together as a church family. But we know that it's going to take resources to fund that vision. We know we've launched the Williamsburg campus. They're taking a huge step. We announced last weekend that we are relocating that campus to a new place. We talked about all that. We're going to be moving into the YMCA there in Williamsburg. It's an amazing opportunity for that church. They're excited. They've broken through the 100 barrier there. Pastor Jamie and Michelle, we've launched a new leadership team there. I know. But we launched that campus with nothing, and we, I really feel like God's, we should have a fund that is set aside. We're going to call it the Come Up Fund. And that fund is going to be there to fund the vision of this church. That when we feel like God speaks to us to launch a campus, we want to have resources. If God speaks to us to take on a missionary, we don't want to have to wait necessarily till the next year before our new budget kicks in. We want to have a fund. If it means expanding staff, which I believe that we're in a season, we've been talking about this as a governance team with the growth that we're experiencing, both our pastoral team has got to get bigger. It has, it has to get bigger. So we're praying now about the possibility of hiring a creative arts pastor. We need a fund to, 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 to make all of those moves happen and possible for us, right? And so I was praying this week. I was praying this week. And so I was saying, God, how, how are we supposed to, to start this fund? How are we supposed to put this fund in play? And I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to pray for nine families. I'm just putting it out there, right? It's a new day. I'm just, I'm praying. He said, I want you to pray for nine families to give $1,000 by the end of October so there'll be $10,000. I said, well, if nine families give $1,000, God, that's, your math is, it's a little bit, I mean, not to, you're, you're on the throne, right? But there's some math there. Right? And then you know what he spoke to me. Well, you're going to be one of those families that gives that $1,000. Right? I said, well, God, let's pray for 10 families to give, what? 
what saith thou you, right? So we wrote a check. Vanessa and I prayed. You know, is, are there things that we could do? We've got three young kids, right? Our family's not too much different from yours, right? Lots of things we could do with that. Sacrifice. It's a great feeling. So we're saying there's going to be not, we know between the two campuses here and Williamsburg, there are going to be nine other families that say we're writing a check for 1,000 or we're writing a check for 500 in September and we're making a pledge to write a check for 500 in October. By the end of October, there's going to be 10,000. I know it, but there's going to be $10,000 in that fund. Give me $10,000 in that fund. Maybe you can't do that. God's going to speak to you in some other way. We're going to talk about giving some more over the next couple of weeks about our operating budget, a way to challenge you to begin to experience sacrifice to fund the vision of the church. You with me? Come on. It's a new day. Freedom. Station 12, right? Jesus dies on the cross. The stations of the cross are really not the normal ways that you want to talk about vision. You with me? There's just a lot of dying and suffering, isn't it? God gives you these, these, these ideas in, about the station of the cross. And I'm thinking, isn't there some more uplifting parts of the Bible that we could use to, to cast vision? But then when you begin to look at this, you're like, there's no better way to cast vision than walking through the stations of the cross. No better way. There's no better way. Well, why is that? Because, because this idea that Jesus died on a cross and carried a cross that I couldn't so that I might carry the one that I can. When I track through Jesus on these last moments of his life, I see him dying on a cross that I could never die for. I, I would never be able to die for my own sins, right? I don't have a perfect life. It took a perfect life to take on the sins of the world. He died on the cross that I couldn't so that I could carry the cross that I can. Just because he died and carried a cross that you can't carry doesn't mean that there's not a cross that you're supposed to carry. There, there are burdens that God wants to put on your heart. I know there's some people in here that your, your burden is, is, is for sex trafficking that's happening in the world. That's a burden that God has put on your heart. It's a cross that you're supposed to carry, right? J, j, uh, Pastor Justin and Stephanie, the burden that God has given them to, to lead this next generation. of You with me? They're, they're people, part of the worship team, the, the, the anchors of that team. It's a burden that they carry to, to, to awaken us to the presence of God through the gift of music, right? There's people that are involved in ministry here. It's, it's a burden. Steve Ruggiero, he has a burden for men. It's weighty sometimes. And you know what? Those things, we're supposed to carry those crosses. That Jesus died on his cross so that I could carry my cross. Now, I couldn't carry my cross unless he died on his cross. But he doesn't carry it for me. He carries it with me. But I've got to feel the weight of the burden of it on my shoulder. Station 12, Jesus dies on the cross. What do I need to let die? Addictions, attitudes, relationships, dreams, grudges, memories. Galatians 2.20 says, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. There is just a lot of dying in this journey as a follower of Christ, but any dying that God asks you to take, there is a resurrection that soon follows. He has your best interest at heart. Anything that he asks you to lay down, any change that he asks you to step into, any sense of spiritual dying that he's supposed to, that you're supposed to walk into, I'm telling you, it's because it's the gateway to the resurrection that he wants you to discover. For some of us here, come on, myself included, grudges against people that have harmed us in our past. So sometimes, am I the only one? Sometimes we just have bad attitudes. Those things need to die in us. Dreams, that's a hard one to say, isn't it? For, for some of you, you might have dreams that, that, that you just have to let go. 
because they were never from God to begin with. For some of you, you might have a dream that you're, you're carrying, and it was never God's dream for you. to be. Those are hard things. You, I, I get it. I understand it. That some of you, you have faced huge disappointment in life. You had an idea what life was going to be like, and it's just very different. Sometimes God pulls us aside and said, I never gave you that dream. It is a hard thing to let a dream go. It is a hard thing to let expectations that we had that we feel like that God's not living up to. And if he's not spoken to you, then come on, you hold on to that dream by faith. But for some of you, you know who you are. God is speaking to you. He's saying, I never gave you that dream. Set it aside. I've got a better dream for you anyways. Right? Whatever we're holding on to that's not from God, it frustrates him because he always has something better than what we're holding on to. All right. What else do I want to say here? All right, that's good. All right, station 13. Station 13. Jesus' body, I love this part of the story. It's powerful. Who in my life am I trusting to lead me? Whose example am I following and are they here? Don't tell me it's somebody you watch on the television, a book you read, an author that you like. He's not returning your phone calls. Right? She's, not, she's not replying to your messages on Facebook. Maybe you're stalking them right now. You need to stop that. Are you with me? You, you, you can't be led by someone and yet unless you can share time and space with them. You can't be led by someone unless you can share time and space with them. You might say, well, Fred, that's easy for you to say because you're the lead pastor of the church. I'm telling you that the deeper you go into leadership, the more submitted you become. The deeper you are into leadership, the more submitted you become. It's, it's the opposite of what you might think. Where do we get that from? We get it from John 5, 19, where Jesus himself, he's divine. What did he say? I don't do anything unless I see my father doing it. I don't say anything unless I hear my father saying it. What authority is there in the world above Christ? You would say he's not submitted to anyone, and yet he himself says, no, I'm submitted to the father in every way. I have a permission-giving relationship with the governance team. If you ever are in a church and you can't figure out who that pastor is in a permission-giving relationship with, then you should run in the other direction. Great leaders are deeply submitted to other people. Great leaders, great leaders have permission-giving relationships with other people. I'm not talking about control. I'm not talking about living under somebody's authority. I'm saying that all of us should be identifying people that... that that are beyond us in our journey as a devoted follower of Christ. That we can go to at times and we can say, what do you think I should do? I'm not saying you should be controlled by that person or you have to do what they say all the time. We all need people in our life that we're willing to follow. We all need people in our life that we let speak into us in a deep way. We all need people in our lives that, that, that we can go to, people that we respect, the people that we trust hear from God, people that we can believe their counsel. We, we look at the example of their life. We see the fruit that is there. There is more than enough people in your life already for you to follow somebody. And until you learn to follow other people, you're never going to be able to lead the other people that God has given to you. You want to lead your home men, find some men that you can follow. You want to lead your children, fathers, find some other fathers that you can follow. 
Let me re- read this statement. For some of you here tonight, your biggest problem, the reason you're always at odds with others, the reason you always seem to be striving with others is because you have a problem with other people telling you what to do. I love this part of the story in the gospel because this is the moment in time where Jesus gave up complete control over the story. You with me? Not, not violating sovereignty, but I'm just saying in a practical sense, right? He, he had the ability to choose. There were moments. He chose to walk to the cross. He chose to lay down his life, right? He chose. He could have called. He, he could have called legions of angels to come and rescue. He, he was in control. But there was a moment in time where this body that was left on this earth, he was not with that body anymore. And he had to trust it to other people to get it to where it was supposed to go. There should be people that I have in my life, that there are moments in my life where I'm willing to fully trust myself to them to get me where I need to be. The story of Jesus coming out of the tomb was made possible because he entrusted himself to a couple of men who he knew would take him there when it was time. It's powerful, isn't it? It's a powerful part of the story. Jesus himself. The leader of leaders, the king of kings says, I'm going to give myself to these people to do what they're supposed to do. Who in your life is your Joseph of Arimathea? Who is that person for you? Who's your Nicodemus? Who are the people that you can look to and say, I am following these people? There are times Jesus was leading them, but in that moment, he was following them. Whatever that does to mess up your idea of the sovereignty of God, I can't figure that out for you. You're going to have to wait until you get to heaven. But I see it right in the text. It's in the story. There are times where I'm supposed to lead as the lead pastor, but there are times when I follow. When I look at the people that sit at that table with us on the governance team, the Kearneys, the Ruggieros, the Rogers, and the Nwatneys, I couldn't think of better couples that I can follow with my life and with my family and with this church. You have to find people that you're willing to look in them in the eye at times in your life and say, tell me what you think I should do. In the end, it's your choice. In the end, it's your choice. But if you haven't done that for a long time, my guess is that your life is continually wandering off in a wrong direction. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Station 14. Come on, this is our last one. Jesus' body is laid in the tomb. Where am I going to spend eternity? Just so this is an area of church, we're going to come up. We're going to create more opportunities to talk to people about making decisions for Christ. As a church, there's going to be more opportunities that we just build in our services, whether they fit or not, where we talk to people about coming to a place of decision. I I am a Christ follower because I was a part of a church early on in my life where where they just, they found moments in their service where they just challenged people, where they caused us to look into our lives and to ask ourselves some hard questions. You, You cannot outrun eternity. You cannot. You cannot. Every one of us at some point are going to do for the last time what we're doing right now, which is taking breaths, right? There's going to come a time in your life. There's going to come a time in my life. I'm going to do that for the last time. I do it for the last time. And at some point, we have to be willing to ask ourselves some hard question, what waits for me after that? 
I've got a friend that I'm talking to who's not a Christ follower. I had an opportunity to, to, to ask that question not too long ago, right? It's a journey with people sometimes, right? If you've got some people that have never made a decision for Christ, it's not a timeshare sale. You don't have to close the deal the first time you have a conversation with them. Are you with me? It can be a journey for people, and sometimes that journey lasts a long time. But there's moments where, where God brings you to a place where you can insert some questions that the Holy Spirit will then take. I'm asking you tonight. Have you ever thought about that? When you breathe your last, what waits for you? I know what waits for me. Paradise waits for me. Eternity with God waits for me. Heaven waits for me. You might not know the answer to that question. You can. I'm 46. When I was 23, that question was answered for me when I made a vow of devotion to Christ. We use that language specifically here at City Life because we like what it communicates. It requires a commitment. You could make that commitment if Jesus hadn't died on the cross for you. We're not setting grace aside. In fact, you can't even come to a place of wrestling with that unless the Spirit of God brings you to that place. But maybe He's bringing you there to that place tonight. Maybe as you look into the story of your life, I mean, if you look into the story of your life, can you find a moment like I can find one in 1990 when I was 23 years old where you made a vow of devotion to Christ? You said, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of the living God, that you died for my sins, and that without your forgiveness, I'm going to spend eternity in the place of the parable of Matthew 22 of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the reality that scripture gives to us. One day you're going to breathe your last, I'm going to breathe my last, and this idea of a vow of devotion to Christ isn't just about what waits for you after you breathe your last, it's about what waits for you between this breath and that one. Making a vow of devotion to Christ is also about these breaths that you're breathing now and that last breath that you're going to take. What is that life going to look like? That journey. You have a destiny. God put you here for a reason. You're supposed to do stuff. You're supposed to reach people. Your life is supposed to have an impact. You being able to be the person that God put you on this earth to be will never happen unless you're following after Christ. I'm just, I'm just telling you tonight, if you are here, if you are here, and you have never made a vow of devotion to Christ, then September 14th of 2013 is supposed to be your day. It's supposed to be your day. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing this song together. I'm just, I'm just preparing your heart for where we're going. The ushers are locking the doors even now as we speak. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to sing this song together. You, you tracking with me? We're going to sing this song together. There's some people that are going to be over here. There are going to be some people over there that are here to pray with you. I, I don't care who you came with, who people think you have been. If, if you know in your heart that your life is not right with God, then tonight's your night. Tonight's your night. Tonight can be the night you take your first spiritual breath, and your forever can be answered. destiny can begin. Father, I pray for every person that's in here tonight right now. And they know who I'm talking about. They feel it in their heart. Their heart's pounding out of their chest even now. We lift up every one of those people tonight. We say, let it be. Sovereign God, let it be. Let it be that tonight would be the night that they would say, Jesus, I lay my life down. Tonight I make a vow of devotion to you. I believe that you are God's son, that you died for my sins, and that you're coming again, and that I will never fulfill my destiny. Forgive me for everything that I've ever done. And let me walk in the grace that only you can give. In Jesus' name, let's worship together. 
心。